Well, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. It has been an exciting time around here, especially this past week. I don't know if you guys remember, but last week I got up during announcements and I mentioned about the backpacks. And I said we were shooting for a goal of about 400 backpacks or a little more that uh, we could collect here. And that yesterday, that Saturday was the distribution day. And uh, it was amazing to see the outpouring of backpacks and school supplies that came in this past week. Uh, Honestly, we were a little amazed because we had like 601 backpacks that came in. And we're kind of scratching our heads because that's a whole lot more than 400. (laughs) Amen? But it's a good thing we got all the supplies that we got. Here's what happened yesterday. Amen. So it was uh, kind of incredible. I know uh, Pastor Larry and Heather happened to be stopping by church yesterday morning. It was about 7.40 in the morning, and there was about 40 people in line already, and the doors opened at 10 o'clock. So uh, uh, let's just say the backpacks and the supplies got hit pretty hard. And we had 700 or 473 backpacks given out. Most of the supplies are gone as well. Um, we had a, uh, after that, then we also had a number of uh, school teachers uh, that that were here and come to Harvest as well. That uh, in some lower income areas, they took some backpacks as well. We're going to be buying a few more supplies, stuff, and the rest of them. And those will get sent out this week to the uh, foster care community. And there's some needs that will be filled as well. So praise the Lord. Uh, He's got a plan. He knew what the needs were. And uh, thank goodness the response was so much better than just the 400, the goal that we kind of threw out there because we missed that one. So uh, God knew. And uh, so praise the Lord for that. 
You know, as we talk about these kind of outreach opportunities uh, and things, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a great segue into the passage that we're going to look at here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah, right after Isaiah, Jeremiah is one of the, uh, we call it the major prophets, um, Major prophets, minor prophets, that's just a term that we classify there. It's just because it's one of the bigger books there in the prophetic books. But uh, uh, Jeremiah was a prophet in Judah. And kind of give you a, a little bit of the history. You remember uh, Israel was formed as a nation and they established then with, with King Saul. And after King Saul came King David. After King David, his son, King Solomon. After King Solomon died, then the... The nation of Israel was actually split into two countries, uh, Israel to the north with ten tribes, Judah to the south with the two tribes, and they went through a series of kings, both in Israel and in Judah, and some would follow after God, and others would not follow after God, and the people would follow after God, and then the people would worship false gods, and they went on this roller coaster over the next several hundred years here and ended up more and more turning their back on God. And so God here uh, really gives the nation, specifically of Judah, and he gives them a wake-up call. And the wake-up call for the nation of Judah were the Babylonians. And that's sort of where we're picking up here in Jeremiah. Here is we see as the Babylonians come and they invade the nation of Judah, and they specifically conquer the city of Jerusalem. And once Jerusalem falls, all of Judah fell. And then we see this uh, group that is then taken back to Babylon. It's to this group that the prophet Jeremiah then writes this letter. And if you're following along here, start in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. And it says, these are the words of the letter of Jeremiah, the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these are the words of the letter of Jeremiah, the prophet. And so you need to first understand Jeremiah was a prophet of God. As a prophet of God, he was the spokesperson for God. God would speak to Jeremiah. Jeremiah would deliver the message on to the people. This was not Jeremiah's message. This was God's message to them. Jeremiah is writing this letter, and it's being sent back to Babylon to the exiles there to the captives that were taken in this group and it's also interesting to note it says sent to the uh, from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles to the priests prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile to the did you catch that word the surviving elders why would you use the term the surviving elders because there were some that didn't make it past the siege in Jerusalem. There are many that had been killed and the leadership that were there that was killed in that process. And those whom were left were the ones that were taken back then to Jerusalem. He goes on in, in verse 2. I'm sorry, goes back to Babylon. And he goes on and says, verse 2. 
And this was after King Jacona and the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. And so we see here the king here, Jacona in this translation, Jehoiakim is, a, is the same name, same fellow there, different name that some of your translations say. And, and so we see this king here and, his, and the queen mother, his mother, and they were taken captive. Not only them, but we see this multitude of those in leadership and those whom had skills. The craftsmen, the artisans, and what they would do is they would bring them back and they would assimilate them into the culture there in Babylon. And, and, and then they would, they would just kept bringing in and assimilating more and more of the talent and abilities from the conquered peoples and the people groups they had. If you remember back here this past year as we did the study in, in Daniel... In the first early chapters of the book of Daniel, and you see Nebuchadnezzar was also on the scene. This is the same time period. They're all contemporaries here of each other. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would have all been a part of this group that was taken, exiled, back to Babylon from Jerusalem. It's all part of the same group. The stories here just interweave together. Uh, And this is then the letter here that Jeremiah as Penning, he goes on in verse 3, he says, The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shephan and Gomera, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And so this letter that was sent through the hand of Elisha and Shephan and Gomera and these guys, and what we're seeing here is we're seeing these emissaries of Jeremiah and, and as they took back this leadership, and yet they established then kind of a puppet regime that was just going to be under the control of Babylon behind, but there was communication back and forth. There was the ability that, that Jeremiah had, and, and we see that God, how God had placed him and connected him in such a way that he could get messages back and forth. And this is the first of, of a couple of letters that Jeremiah writes to these exiles, to this group of captives that had come from Jerusalem, to these Jews who were in Babylon. And so that's the context here that we see, uh, that he, he writes to them, and, and this is the message from God, and then verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Who's authoring this letter? The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. These are the words of God that Jeremiah was communicating. And who is it to? The exiles. Now here's another phrase here. The exiles whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Why were they in Babylon? Who was the one that sent them to Babylon? Was it Nebuchadnezzar? Well, Nebuchadnezzar was the means to the end. But who was behind this? This was all part of God's plan. Can we all agree on that? God says, saying, I have sent you into exile. This is all a part of my plan here. As you've turned your back on me, this is the wake-up call that I'm giving to you. We're going to see in a few verses here that this exile was going to last for about 70 years. 
It was going to be a season, and in this case, it was going to be a long season in which they were going to be in exile. But God was making it clear, I have a plan. Everybody say that. God has a plan. Say it. God has a plan. We say that many times over and over, and here once again we see this. God had a plan for them, and God was working in and through that plan. You know, it's interesting also that we see that they were going to be there, but they were only going to be there for a season. This was a temporary, a temporary plan. If you're taking notes here, I want to, the, the first point that we see here is see life as temporary. See life as temporary, not your permanent home. See life as temporary, not your permanent home. This was all taking place back in about 597 B.C. When, when this took place. It was going to be about 70 years. He's saying, look, I got a message to tell you. Just know you're there because I'm working a plan in this. There's plan, there's purpose, and it's for a season. You know, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, then we're kind of in the same boat. It's interesting, we see in the New Testament here, when Peter was writing 1 Peter here, he refers to us in very similar language. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from, from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And he goes on with that. But he says, look, I want to listen. I, I, I want to talk to you, beloved. I urge you as sojourners, travelers, and exiles. While the children of Israel, or the, the, the children there from, from Judah, and we see this group of exiles that were in Babylon, they were exiled there, and yet there's similar terminology for us as well. And I think the moral of the story, the principle that we see in this is life is temporary. When you look at the timeline of eternity... The 70 or so years that we have here on earth is just a dot on the timeline. Have you thought about that? We've been reminded over the last couple of years in a couple different messages of this, but sometimes we just need that constant reminder, at least I do so often, because I, I get so caught up in all that's going on right now, and we start thinking that this is what it's all about. This is what life, and this life is what it's all about, and it all becomes about the here and now. And so often we need to readjust our perspective and realize that, that life is temporary. You know, it's interesting even the, the 70 years that they were going to be in exile um, you know, we see also in, in other parts of Scripture that, that, that God allows to us three score and ten, about 70 years. It's the average life expectancy and may not live past tomorrow, may not live past 70, but the 50, 60, 70, 90 years, whatever it is that, that God has for us in his plan for each of us here on earth, it is just a dot on the timeline of eternity. Life's temporary, but there is the eternal. This is just for a season. 
A couple weeks ago, we were able to take uh, some time and took a week off work, and we drove down to uh, San Antonio, Texas, and we were able to spend about four days at Lackland Air Force Base, where we were able to see my son, uh, who was graduating, and they had several different ceremonies there for the graduation for uh, boot camp there from the United States Air Force. Uh, let me tell you what, it was incredible. If you've ever been to any of the graduation ceremonies from any of the different branches, and to, it's just amazing to see <laughs> the transformation that can take place in about eight and a half weeks. Let me say it again. It's amazing to see the transformation. And all of the pomp and circumstance, you see just under a thousand or so guys, and they're all just the discipline and lockstep and the formation. And we're there in the San Antonio heat, and it's 110, 115 degrees, and we're like huddled up under the awnings trying to get in the shade, and these guys are standing at attention for like an hour in full fatigues and everything, and just to see that discipline, to see that. With the second day, we were able to go up into the, the dormitories and to see his, his barracks there, and we, we walked up those stairs, those, those finely cleaned, pristine stairs. I know that because my son said that was his job for most of his time there was to scrub those stairs, and, and we walked into this room, this barracks here, and we saw the row. There was 26 different Bunks, they call them, I call them cots, but uh, all lined up in nice and neat order, everything there with the hospital corner sheets and everything just perfect, and they got the foot locker, and they've got the, 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 the uh, locker there with all of their clothes in there, and I look inside, and I see the clothes and everything that's neat, and it's amazing the changes that take place in eight <laughs> weeks. Like, who is this kid? Didn't even hardly, not even hardly a kid anymore. And I'm looking at all of this. And, of course, everything's either blue or a khaki, tan, and green. He then, this past week, was then moved. And so he finished up there at Lackland and was shipped uh, over to a Navy base there in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And so we've been able to have some contact. And he sent a text here the last couple of days with a list of things that he would like for us to send him. He's going to be there for about four and a half months, should be back at like a week before Christmas or so, we're, we're hoping and be able to get to see him there. But some of the restrictions have been lifted, and he's going to kind of settle in a little bit, so he, he asked for some personal items that he can have there with him, but not too much, because everything that's there, he's got to bring back in a suitcase, and it's got to fit in there when he comes back. He's just going to be there for a little while. And so he's kind of going to make himself at home for a little while, but it's not home. He's looking forward to coming home here in about five months. I know that because he keeps telling us that. He's looking forward to that. Looking forward to it. It's just temporary. Guys, that's us. That's, that's this life. It's just for a season. Home is to come. Let's continue on here. Point number two, bless and pray for those around you where God has placed you. Bless and pray for those around you where God has placed you. So we see here, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to the exiles whom I've sent, 
from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now here's the message here. This is what God was telling them, verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. So what's he saying here? He's saying, look, build homes. Get settled in. Go plant some gardens and start living off of the produce that you grow there in your gardens. You're going to be there for a while, so go ahead and get settled in. He says, uh, if you're single, go find you a wife and start having kids. When you have kids, go find spouses for your kids so that they can have kids. You're going to be there, we know in just a few more verses, you're going to be there for about 70 years. For some of them, that was a life sentence. And they probably weren't going to live to the point to come back. But for many of them, hopefully they might live to come back. But if not them, their children and their children's children would be coming back. And really what God's telling them is saying, look, when you come back from this exile, come back with more people than you came with. Be fruitful, multiply, and come back. So get settled in. You're going to be there a while. It's okay. I like to travel and in my job here I, I do a lot of traveling and uh, I sort of have a, 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 a rule a little bit if I'm going to be in a place for more than about two or three days uh, and I'm staying especially in a hotel or some, something like that if they've got like a dresser or something like that then I take my suitcase and I unpack my suitcase and I put clothing items and stuff in the dresser and in the closet and that if I'm going to be there for just overnight or just a couple nights, I generally don't unpack my uh, suitcase. I keep it pretty organized. But if I'm going to be there a little while, I unpack the suitcase and I make myself at home. And that's really what God's telling them right now. He's saying, look, make yourselves at home. Make yourselves at home. But he doesn't stop there. While you're making yourselves at home, end of verse uh, End of verse 6, he says, and multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7, but. You might want to underline that word, but. But, while you're making yourselves at home, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. But seek the welfare. The Hebrew word for welfare there is shalom. You ever heard that word before, shalom? Shalom is a greeting that they would give to each other. It means peace, prosperity, well-being. And that's what he's saying. He's saying seek the well-being, the prosperity of the people of the city where I have sent you. What city was that? Babylon. He's saying, so as you get settled in, as you start making a home for yourself there, for the seasons you're going to be there, start looking to bless the people that are there. Seek the welfare of the city and pray for them. Pray for these people. As they prosper, so you will prosper. 
Your prosperity, exiles in Babylon, is tied to the prosperity of the people of Babylon. That was the message that God said. Get settled in, but bless those people that are around you. Pray for those people. Be concerned about those, those people in that city, in that place. And that was a little different from a lot of the teaching that was going on right now. We see in verse 8, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie. It is that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And so there was a teaching that was going around, and these prophets, and it was interesting, even whose prophets were they? He says, your prophets, the message that your prophets are doing, because they're not my prophets, God says. I'm not the one that sent them here, but these are the ones that stepped up and said, we know what God's doing. And they were communicating this message saying, don't worry about it, it's just going to be a really short time, we're going to be back. And God says, that's not the message. It's a lie. They're just telling you what you want to hear. And nobody wanted to hear that they were going to be there for 70 years, I'm sure. It was a lie, though. Why? Because God had a plan, and God was doing a work. He was chastening. He was bringing about repentance so he could bring them back and restore them at a later time. Just on a side note, just want to encourage you. Be careful when you come across people who start saying, God told me, blah, blah, blah. Okay, just be careful. Check it. How do you check? How do you know if God's telling you something? It's going to be in God's word. By the way, in the Old Testament law, there were some pretty stringent consequences for false prophets. According to the law, they were to be executed when they were wrong. It was a pretty big deal. God took it real serious. When you start saying, you know what I'm doing, you start speaking for me, and that's not what I'm saying, that's not a a place you want to be in. Be careful. Be careful in listening to that. Now, Now, think about this, though. Think about this. So get settled in, make homes, and seek the welfare, the shalom of the city and the people where you're at. Pray for these people. Who were these people? They were the Babylonians. What had the Babylonians just done? They just come in, invaded the land. They had just killed many, many, many men, women, and children. Many of their family and their friends and their neighbors had all been executed. Even some of the letter was written to the surviving elders because not all the elders even made it out alive. They were the enemy. They had been kidnapped. They had been brought back. They, they could not go home. They were stuck in this place. And they were going to be imprisoned here for many years to come. And yet what God is telling them is saying, but I want you to be about their well-being. We see in the New Testament similar admonitions of where God tells us to, he tells us to, to love our neighbor, but he also tells us to love our enemy and do good to them. How do you love your enemy? How do you do that? 
will you understand that God has a plan and that God loved us when we were his enemies. And we were an enemy to God because of our sin, and yet he still loved us. And he's saying now, share that love out. And so love your enemy. Engage the culture. Don't compromise your beliefs. We know this to be true here with Daniel. Remember Daniel chapter 1, and they were bringing in the, and the, and the, the, sacri- or the offerings here. They were going to eat the food that had been served to to idols first, and, and Daniel just couldn't go against his conscience. And on one hand, he was getting involved and engaging the culture. On the other hand, he was still holding to what God was calling him to do, and, and he was walking that tightrope in belief. And so we're, this is not a just forsake everything that you believe and just do whatever to please whomever. It's not that. But yet to, to be seeking and actively engaging the culture, to contribute, to help out, to reach out, to seek to bless and encourage the people that are around you where God has placed you. Get involved. Make it better. That was really the message there. And that's the message for us. God tells us what? Bless and pray for the people that God has placed in and around us. And So how do we do that? What does that look like? How do, we look, how do we do that? Here you go. Here's four ways to bless those around you. Four ways to bless those around you. Number one, passionately worship your God. Passionately worship your God. Mark 12, 30 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of your being <coughs> passionately love God. You may have heard this before a couple weeks ago as we talk about the transformation triangle. and You know, before we start worrying about anything about anybody else, the first thing that we always want to do is we want to go vertical. As we passionately, fervently worship our God, then we reach out out of the overflow of our worship of God. And so before you take that first step, before you try to do anything and muscle it in yourself, it all starts from a passionate worship of God as you encounter God, as you exalt God, as you engage in the things then that God calls you to do. And so passionately worship your God. Number two, love as you are loved. 1 John 4, 11 says, if God loved us, we ought also to love one another. Love as you are loved, 1 John 4, 11 Again, is that verse. Love as you are loved. Because God loves us. Because he loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us. Even in our sin and the filthiness of our sin, God says, come to me. Don't worry about cleaning yourself up. You come to me. And then I'll help you clean up. Because we're loved, we then in turn can love. Passionately worship your God, love is your love. Number three, see and meet needs out of your abundance. See and meet needs out of your abundance. 1 Corinthians 4.18 says, Your abundance at the present time shall supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need. Paul wrote that. Zechariah 7.10 says, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, and the poor. 
We see here in, in, in multiple places in Scripture that, that, that Paul, when it talks about giving, is saying, as, as God has blessed you out of the abundance and the overflow of what God has blessed, then you then share with others out of that abundance. You share with the needy, with the fatherless and the widow and the traveler and the poor, the Zechariah 7.10 passage says. And so we see and meet needs out of our abundance. You saw just a, a small little picture of that yesterday with the backpacks for kids. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about is, is, is we've been so richly blessed and we have so much going on. It's so easy to think this is what it's all about. And I just keep bringing in, bringing in, bringing in, and we lose sight of the fact that God blesses us so that out of our abundance then, we can share out to others. But not only that, that's number four then. How, how do we bless others around them? Four, point them to Christ who meets all their needs. Point them to Christ who meets all their needs. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be seasoned with salt. I'm sorry, be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. So as you're going through life and doing those conversations and things, so we're talking to people, you can do it in such a tactful, gracious, salt-seasoned way that you can then be turning that conversation to Jesus Christ who meets all their needs. It's more than just meeting the physical needs. That's nice, but that's not enough. We need to be sharing Christ, sharing Jesus who meets their real needs, who meets all their needs. Sometimes as we're going through, if it's just about meeting the physical needs, it's, it's sort of like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, it looks really good and people feel good for a moment, but the ship's going down, right? Really, the important thing is to find a lifeboat because that's the real need. And as we interact with, with folks, that's the need. It's Jesus He's the one that meets the, all the needs, that he meets the real needs that they have. And so we are about the welfare of the city, but it's not just about meeting the physical needs. It's about then having an opportunity to share Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? How do we do that? How do you do that in your life? Well, I say, first of all, individually. We can do this individually here as we apply these for the passionately worship Christ, love as you're loved, Share out of your abundance, meet the needs out of your abundance, and point them to Christ. How do we do it? Individually, which starts, I would say, your family. Who God has placed right there in your home. And it starts with the family. And what was the first thing I said? Build homes and make a family was, was the first challenge there. Your family, your children, your extended family. Is there needs that can be met in there? Do, do they know Christ? Are we discipling them? How about your friends, your coworkers? Those that you're coming in contact with there on a daily basis? Are you reaching out? Are you looking for needs, meeting needs, loving on them, sharing Christ with them? How about your neighbors? How many of you know who all your neighbors are up and down your block? Do you know their names? This is something for me I've been, I've been really convicted about. I mean, we're great about, you know, a wave and a smile. And, hey, how you doing and that. But yet, taking the time and introducing and, and starting to build relationships with your neighbors. 
It's individually, but also there's opportunities throughout the year, especially within the ministry here, our local missions opportunities. Last, last, yesterday was, was one of those occasions there with a backpack for kids, but not only that, we've got a number of opportunities. We've got snack packs. Some of you, do you know we do snack packs here where we uh, provide food for kids on the weekends, and it's tied to a number of the uh, local schools here in, in the area, and, and there's a number of kids that are on assisted lunch program at school, and, but when they, it's great throughout the week, but when they go then home for the weekend, uh, they don't always have a guarantee of, of, of plenty of food to eat. And so we, we, we collect in the food, we put them in the snack packs. Our, our higher ground, our Awana ministry actually does a lot of that as a way that they can be serving within the church. And then we, those are delivered to the schools that we're partnering with. And then they are handed to the kid as they're going home on Friday afternoon so that they have a couple of meals then over the weekend, some snacks uh, guaranteed. So they got food for their snack packs. You'll hear more about it. Juan will probably be collecting some food here this fall. We do a church-wide collection there in uh, February for that. We do Giving Tree at Christmas where we come alongside some hurting families and provide presents there. We do Compassion Day the first Saturday of May and we get all t-shirted up and time of worship. Then we hit the streets to 30 to 35 different sites and opportunities to come alongside, meet some physical needs and, and, and just share the love of Christ, be the hands and feet of Christ. We have our, our Z710 ministry. It's, it's a verse I just quoted, Zechariah 710, do not oppress the, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. And what this ministry is, is, is just as we are, are become aware of needs, and a lot of times it's through different organizations there in the, in, in the area, and uh, we then take those needs, sometimes individuals as well, and then we uh, put it out to the Z710 team. And there's, I don't know, seven or 800 people here that's given us permission to email them with these needs. We send out the email and say, hey, here's a need. And it's just incredible to see God work through the body of Christ. And even most of the time within that day, then we see those needs filled. And sometimes it's providing a, a refrigerator. Somebody had needed a refrigerator. Somebody had an extra one and be able to provide that. Sometimes it's helping people move and do some stuff. So one time it was uh, working on a roof and doing some things. Just a, a myriad of ways. It's just kind of a, a way to partner the needs and the resources together. That's our Z710 ministry. All of these are opportunities that you can get involved in. If you're not aware of it, want to get involved in more, check out the website and talk to one of us. Even beyond that, we do some things even beyond here, the local in central Illinois, and uh, we're working in Haiti, and you hear a lot about that. We take three or four trips a year down to Haiti as we partner with the Harvest Haiti Initiative and help lead, to lead that. Um, we've got three churches and three more that are planting out. We take medical teams and work teams, and this fall we've got one of our impact group uh, that are actually a number of them as an impact group are going to go and partnering with one of the other Harvest churches and to one of the sites here. The churches are being launched and taking a missions trip there. Our high school group went to Alaska and we partner with two churches in the Anchorage area here. And just a number of opportunities. Why do I say all this? Why well, I say all this to say there's lots of ways to get involved, to bless and to pray for those that God puts in your path. So now my question is this, how, how is your outreach? How are you at blessing those that are around you? How's your worship? Are you seeing needs in people and being able to come alongside? Are you looking to love on people? Are you looking to point them to Christ? 
Maybe one of the things that I've gone through in this long list is something that you say, that'd be great to get involved in. You got it? Got something there? Maybe God's leading you to get involved in, maybe in, the, in this next week. Number three, put your hope in God's promise of our eternal home. Put your hope in God's promise of our eternal home. Verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For thus says the Lord, once again, he says, hey, this is from me, God speaking here. Seventy years is the promise. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. When those are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. This is just for a season. I'm making you a promise right now. God was telling the exiles, you're going to be coming back. Just hang in there. And he goes on further and he gives some explanation. These next couple of verses may be kind of familiar to you. Maybe you've, you've read some of these before. Let, let me just give one little cautionary tale. This passage and this letter here was written to the exiles in Babylon. Everybody say that. Exiles in Babylon. Who is it to? Exiles in Babylon. Okay, now let's read on here. Don't want to be misquoting things here. Verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Plan for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with, your, with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile." For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare. I've got a plan, God was saying. I know what the plan is. Don't worry about it. You don't got to have it figured out. I got to figure it out. And by the way, it's it's plans for your welfare, for your shalom, for your well-being, your peace, your prosperity. It's not to hurt. It's not out of evil. It's not out of harm. I'm not trying to punish you. It wasn't punitive. It wasn't punishment. It was chastening. It was a wake-up call. I was, God was getting their attention and saying, look, follow me and get back on track here, folks. And it's not for evil, but for your well-being, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me. After the 70 years are up, then you will call on me. And, you, and, and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. At the end of that time, finally you're going to get to the point where you're ready to say, I'm going to give up all the other stuff that I was doing in my own worship of whatever I've been worshiping, and I'm going to worship you with my whole heart, and you're going to cry out to God, and when that time comes, then I'm going to gather you all up, all these people that I have spread out, God says, in Babylon and in the surrounding areas and all those in exile, and I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem, back to the place that you started, 
back to the promised land. Not only that, we see the promise was, and I will restore your fortunes and gather from you all the nations and all the places where you've driven. I will restore your fortunes. All that was taken away when they were conquered in that, God's saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to replenish that. I'm going to restore all of that back to where you were before. That was the promise that he made to the exiles that were in Babylon. I got a plan. We're going to restore. Count on it. You know, God's also made some promises to us. Some of the similar language there as we turn to God. James 4, kind of 7 through 10 here says, Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Verse 10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. The same thing applies to us and what he was saying here to, to the exiles. And look, when you draw near to, to God, when you draw near to me, God says, I'll draw near to you. When you humble yourself, then I'll exalt you in the proper time. God's got a plan for each of us. And as we worship passionately our God, he will lift us up. He will protect us. He will have intimate fellowship with us and, and, and communion with us. It's a promise that we can count on. Not only that, we see uh, Jesus also said in John 14, verses 2 and 3, it says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where, that where I am, you will be also. Jesus also reminded here the disciples and us, that look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to build you a home. This is temporary, and that's forever. That's for eternity. I'm going to prepare a home for you, and when I'm done with all of that, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you, every one of you that are a believer in Jesus Christ and have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to bring you to your home. And you'll spend eternity and we'll worship our God. And we'll learn and grow and see amazing things that he has for us for all of eternity. This is not our home. This is just for a season. This is just a stopover. It's just a part of the journey. While you're here, God's called us to a mission. Bless those that are around you. Pray for those that are around you. Point them to Christ. Tell them about your home and how it can be their home too. And then at the proper time, God's going to take and he's going to restore us. And he's going to take us someplace we've never even seen before. And it's going to make anything that's going on around here pale in comparison. That's the promise that God has made to us. There's a story told of a man that was on a long journey and, and he was uh, at one point on this journey was on a ship out in the ocean and it came on to a storm and, and the, the ship uh, uh, was sunk. And in the process of the ship sinking, he was able to get off the ship and, and it floated for a while and then washed up on the shore of a deserted island and he was the only survivor. And so he takes and, and, and he starts to gather in as things started to wash up on the shore from the ship that had gone down and collected what few little things that he could and he, 
finds him a spot there on the beach, and he goes and gets some, some wood, and he starts builds a fire, start to, to, to have a signal fire going and collect all of his belongings, and he sits for the first day and the second day, and he's looking out on the horizon, looking for anyone who may see the fire and come and rescue him. And as the days start to go by, he realizes he probably needs to make a shelter. He goes and gets some of the supplies and starts, builds this kind of lean-to shelter there on the beach. And, and he sits. And he waits and he looks for rescue. Well, after a little while and the days turn to weeks and he starts to realize, hey, I'm probably going to be here for a while. And so he takes his belongings and he goes just a little bit inland. Just He's still close to the beach, but he's a little bit inland, a little more protected. And he starts to cut down some wood and starts to build a hut. And as he's building things there and the days and the weeks and the months start to go by, he starts to also then to start to build furniture for this hut. And then he kind of starts to add on to the hut and really just starts to settle in and starts to make things as comfortable as he can make it for his new life here on this deserted island. And he just over the years just kind of builds and expands and gets a pretty nice setting, kind of a Robinson Crusoe type of a situation there. And then one day he's out and he's collecting provisions and trying to gather some food. And he looks back and he sees this smoke that's just billowing from about the area of where his home is at, his hut there. And when he goes, he, he runs running back and he sees that the branch had fallen into the ambers there from the fire from the night before. He'd caught fire, had, had caught the hut on fire, and had burnt down everything that was there, everything that he had built, most of the belongings and things that are washed up on shore that he'd been hanging on to. And the guy just goes into a massive depression. After all of this, I can't believe this. And he takes a couple little things. He goes back out to the beach. He plops himself down on the beach. And he looks up and says, why, God, after everything I've been through, after everything, living by myself and all that's been built, and now you've taken this from me as well. And he just lays there frustrated and depressed. Night comes. He spends the night there laying on the beach, wakes up in the morning, he gets up, he looks out on the horizon, and he sees a boat. Not only that, he sees a smaller boat, and they're coming up onto shore, and as they paddle up to him, and they get out of the boat, he says, oh my goodness, I've been here, I've been on this island for, I don't know, months, years, I don't know how long I've been on this island, thank you so much. They said, hey, it was so smart of you lighting that signal fire. We were able to see that a long ways away, and that's, that's what drew us to this island. And they said, come on in the boat. We're going to take you home. You know, as I was remembering that story here this week, I couldn't help but think, we're that guy on the island. This isn't home. We're just here for a while. And we go about doing all that we can to make it as comfortable as we can while we're here. But home is what is to come. Let's be careful. Let's make sure that we set our hope on what is to come. Set our hope on home. Not just in the here and now. So how about you? How are you doing at that? Have you gotten off track a little bit? 
Maybe you've never actually worshipped the creator of the universe. Maybe you've been so caught up in the here and now and that that's what's tripping you up and not letting you set it down and turn to Christ. Maybe you've done that and you're a follower of Christ, but you've gotten a little distracted. It's easy to get our eyes off of Christ and onto all of the stuff of life. Let's set our hope on home. Set our hope on what is to come. Let's pray.